how we can trust that God is ordaining everything and he is responsible for everything in our lives even when we can't see something. We seek that all the time to experience the things of God right in front of us and sometimes when that happens we think that's more real than the miracle we had no part of or we didn't get to experience directly firsthand that we think the ones we experience are more powerful than the ones that happen a little bit of a distance away from us. But nevertheless, God is at work and responsible for all things, whether seen or not seen. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Kingdom Vision Podcast. Lately, I've talked on many podcasts about the idea of being a self-made man. Sometimes it's easy to fall into this mindset like I made this life possible for myself through hard work and dedication. And I've talked about this idea a lot. That in my own life, in my personal life, Cole Harris's life, that when I first started to hear God's voice in my life, I stopped assigning things to coincidence or chance. Like I just wasn't happen to be born in, in a family that I was born in, or I didn't happen to meet the people that I crossed paths with, that, that I was friends with, or I didn't happen to cross paths by chance with the guy who eventually spread the gospel to me. But God was ordaining everything, and but that thought has been often pretty vague. So I've been digging deeper into it, and I was just reading the Psalms, really, just in my daily readings, and I came across this Psalm, and I was like, dude, this is like a tangible example of this idea that I've been having that can be fleshed out more. Why God is responsible for all the success that we have today, even though it may feel like we are the ones that are responsible for it. And it starts in Psalm 44, and it starts... In verse 1, we have heard it with our ears, O God, our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my King and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies, through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow, my sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies, you put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. And the psalm goes on, it's, you know, about 30 more verses, 20 more verses, but that's really the part I want to focus on, because when you think of literally the most thing that you could take pride in, on a human basic level, like not a lot of people fight with bows and swords now, but fighting is the most foundational form of you made this yourself. Like you get in a fist fight, one person loses and one person wins and you're the one fighting. Or it was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm and the light of your face for you love them. Them is the people, the nation, God's chosen people who he, who he chose to work and manifest himself through the earth through was the chosen people of Israel. So that's the them in reference is the nation of Israel. I want to show a way God moved miraculously like, okay, obviously this is God. And then I want to show another story of how, okay, this is still God, because the Bible says it's God, yet in today's society, this would probably be attributed to coincidence, but it's still God. The first story is, I'm not going to go and read it, but Moses in the Red Sea, right? All throughout the book of Exodus, the Israelites being oppressed by Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians, and it comes to a point when Moses rises up and he leads the people of Israel out of slavery, that God sends, God sends the 10 plagues after um, on the nation of Egypt. And then Pharaoh finally is like, go get out of the land. 
And Moses leads them out of slavery into the wilderness. And then Pharaoh changes his mind and then proceeds to chase after them. He's like, oh, we just lost so many of so much of our workforce or whatever. So we're going to chase after them and get them back. So they're running from the Egyptians in the wilderness. And then they come upon the Red Sea. And as many of you all know the story, God then worked a miracle through Moses. And Moses literally parted the Red Sea. And it says they literally, if you go read the verses, that they walked on dry land. That Moses parted the Red Sea, and also the water, he removed the water from the dirt so that it would be easy to walk across so that their wagons and their feet, they wouldn't be slowed down by mud. That's kind of how detail-oriented it is. That's a side note. That's just a cool part of it. God parted a sea. The walls were, there was walls of water that rose up. and so, So the people who are witnessing that, like this is a miracle from God. There's water on this side, there's water on that side, being held up by a force, which is God's hand, and we're walking through these waters, and then later when they make it all the way through, then the Egyptians come through and are following them, and, and then we know God, and lets the waters fall back, and their enemies are defeated, and the Egyptians are defeated, right? That encounter cannot be attributed to anything but a miracle from God himself. God intervening on earth in that very moment. It's obvious. We, we know the story. You've probably heard the story. And if you don't, go read the details of that whole encounter and see what happened. But the story I want to read to y'all is the story that many of us would probably attribute to coincidence or shh, that's just dumb luck. Second Chronicles 20 verse 2. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah, which is a great response by Jehoshaphat when he's faced with this, um, you know, this fierce trial, this fierce anxiety. There's a legit army coming to defeat us. His initial response is to inquire from the Lord, which is something we, we should all do. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat said this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to them, the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague of famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade. When they came from Egypt, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little, little ones stood there before the Lord. But then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, and he said this, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow march down against them, and they will be climbing up by the paws, the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. So he's saying, go to this location and you will find them. Like, go get ready for battle and walk up there. 
You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give to you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face him tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. So he's just saying, you're going to walk out there and you're going to, you better trust me, right? He doesn't tell them what he's going to do. He just says, go out there and do it. Skip a couple of verses and then verse 20, early in the next morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And then after consulting the people, Joseph had appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for their splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. What's happening here, not only are they going to go out and fight, but Jehoshaphat sends out a band, a people, a group of people ahead of the army. There's the army and these people go out ahead of them and are singing praises to God. They're saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Imagine just singing worship all day, being faced with this army. They're just worshiping, right? And what does God do? As they begin to sing praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir and defeated them. After they finished defeating them from Seir, they helped destroy one another. So basically what's happening is the people of Ammon and Moab defeat the, the, third, the third people. There's three armies together to make one huge army. So the people from Ammon and Moab join together to you know, defeat the people of Seir. And after they pe- defeat the people of Seir, then they come together and they fight each other and they all end up dying because of this, this fight. But the Lord is the one who, who instigated or not, instigated is not the right word. The Lord is the one who made this happen right? Which gets us to this whole point. The way God delivers his people is always changing and varying, but nevertheless, the Lord is behind it all. This just made me think all back to that root of how we self-made people, because a lot of times, I feel like if this would happen today, a lot of times things similar to this happen, that God's moving in and through a people or in and through a situation that is separate from you, the Lord said, go to this, to, to Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, go therefore and be ready for battle, but you will not have to fight. You will be delivered. Yet God was working over there. A lot of times we can sometimes associate this to coincidence if we're not careful because we didn't see it with our own eyes. We weren't there to taste, touch, feel, and smell the, the miracle that took place. So then we're not going to attribute it to miracle. We're going to attribute it to coincidence or chance. God is the one behind everything. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. The miracle is assigned and accredited to God, not to coincidence. And in the other extremes case, not to ourselves. We don't get credit for the fight. We don't get credit for the win. We don't get credit or we don't get the glory for achieving or even doing great things in this life because we aren't responsible for the great things in this life. The beauty of it is that effort in earning 
are not the same thing, yet they feel very similar. A lot of times when they're fighting with bows and swords, they expended a lot of effort. Effort in and of itself is exerting force. It took effort to get up and fight with swords and bows. It takes effort to draw back the string of the bow, pick up the 40-pound sword to carry the armor that they were walking with and they were wearing. It takes effort. You have to exert force to do these things, yet they're not earning. They're not striving. Striving is the desire to obtain something. You're going to get an end goal. Versus just mere exerting force. The circumstances of Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah very easily could have been turned to a position or heart's posture of striving quickly because they wanted, they would, they would, it's an innate desire in us to want to change our circumstances. Hey, I am surrounded by an army. But I do not want to be surrounded by an army because I'm stressed, I'm scared, and I have fear. So let me strive to fix my circumstances and get out of it. But what do they do? They don't do that. They don't strive. They actually rest. They don't seek and get up and game plan and, and long with the end goal in mind of their deliverance from their enemies. What do they do? They sit and they rest and they they take a step back and seek the counsel of the Lord. So in this life, it's it's good to exert effort. It's good to be a person who is giving their best unto the Lord, and and God desires a craftsman. God desires somebody who's giving their absolute best to something. But God does not want a striving heart, because the striving heart is in an idolatrous heart. An idolatrous heart after the goal that they're chasing, after the circumstances they're chasing. When you're having an idolatrous heart, you're then worshiping this image you have created with your heart. You're worshiping the circumstances that you're desiring, or the, the goal, or the object, or whatever you're striving towards. That becomes your God and you become a servant unto that when the Lord just wants you to exert all the effort you want, but wants a surrendered heart so then he can direct and send where he wants and use how he wants and be crafted and molded by the potter when we're the clay so he can move and use us. When we're exerting effort, we're a tool, we're an asset to the Lord. We are we are doing things unto the kingdom, but we have to we have to deny ourselves the desire to strive. So that's just the main point I wanted to really make with this video was just to dive in deeper into the thought of being a self-made man or a self-made woman and how we can trust that God is ordaining everything and he is responsible for everything in our lives even when we can't see something or we aren't directly, it's not directly in front of our face, which is hard because sometimes we desire that or we, we seek that all the time to be, you know, to to experience the things of God right in front of us when and sometimes when that happens we think that's more real than the miracle we had no part of or we didn't get to experience directly firsthand that we think the ones we experience are more powerful than the ones that happen a little bit of a distance away from us but nevertheless God is at work and responsible for all things whether seen or not seen and I just wanted to dive deeper into that idea so I pray that this was helpful to you if this blessed you consider leaving a like drop a comment subscribe whatever y'all know the deal but but with that being said uh god bless y'all and we will see you in the next video